listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 460. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we begin our look at season two of the HBO Max series, Be Foreigners. And while we had a great time doing Fringe, looking forward to doing this short season, only six episodes, and uh, um, I, I did read their looking for funding for season three which i guess is commonplace um, you know in, in scandinavia so haven't heard yet netflix or hbo max like netflix doesn't really tell us too much about how a show does so we'll see if, if i had any money i would uh, i would send it their way but uh unfortunately i don't so yeah i mean it's gotten a lot of good press so i would think it will get renewed but i guess uh we will see it just seems like so many shows these days it's three and out and that's fine you know if you know that going in that you've got three seasons sure albeit here only that would only be 18 episodes but you know still um you know that that's a lot to you know still tell your story so mm-hmm. yeah we will we will see you know, if you guys want to check in with us, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can do that. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't done that already. All right, so we got some big news in the genre TV yeah, big, world. Big this- news. Yeah, Shudi Gatwa, the 29-year-old Rwandan Scottish actor, has been tabbed to take over control of the TARDIS. Though, I don't know if you read any of this. There seems to be some confusion about whether or not he'll actually become the 14th Doctor. Because these rumors about David Tennant returning for a few specials, none of that's been confirmed. But what has been confirmed is that he will be maybe not the next doctor if if, uh, Tennant comes back for a reprise, but he's certainly going to be a doctor, whether 14th or 15th really doesn't matter. Now, he appeared on my radar through his role on the Netflix series Sex Education, starring Gillian Anderson and Asa Butterfield, who was uh, Ender's Game, right? He was yeah. Ender. Mm-hmm. And, ah, he is awesome. I'm telling you, charisma to no end. So I think he's going to just do a great job. Uh, hopefully, with RTD back at the helm, the writing will you know, be great right from the start and... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Of course, we've got a couple of years probably before that's going to happen. So, right. Uh, well, I don't know. I think they, uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, you're a, you're an optimist. I'm an optimist. I am. I am. So, um, yeah. You know, um, I like probably many people now am going to go and check out Sex Education um, just to get a look at, at this guy. But I mean, you said he's great. Uh, I, my son actually. Uh, one of my sons saw a couple episodes of Sex Education and said he was really good at it. So, um, yeah, very exciting. It's always exciting when they announce a new doctor. Yeah, well, the series is great. I mean, the premise is great. I'm not even going to tell you what it is. Uh, I don't want to spoil that for you, but it is really good. I'll just leave it at that. And we're waiting for season three. I believe it's three. It could be four uh, to drop. So, you know, fingers crossed that won't be too long. But for me... What we're watching this week, um, checked out the French sci-fi crime drama Ad Vitum, which has, you know, appeared on my Netflix uh, Netflix feed for quite a while now. And the basic premise is that regeneration technology allows people to live indefinitely in perfect health. 
so that you know we, we we've got people that look like they're in their early 40s and we learn that they're actually 149 and uh, you know, within this society that you're required to change professions. Uh, I forget how many times and I forget at what, at, at what point in your lifespan, but the age of majority is 30. So no regeneration can take place until that point. And what we've got going on in the story is that young people are committing mass suicides in protest to this. So we're following you know, this detective as he's investigating it. So, I mean, it really is a crime drama with this sci-fi setting in the background. So uh, pretty cool. I, I definitely enjoyed it. I think it was six or eight episodes. Now I can't remember how many, but, you know, definitely, uh, definitely worthwhile. And what I'm checking out now, I'm sure popped up on your Netflix feed because it's a, a a recent offering, is Welcome to Eden. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a Spanish language. Uh, I don't know. Sci-fi. I mean, it's labeled sci-fi. It's more social experiment, which I suppose could loosely fall in there. So um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, there's an island involved and, and a lot of beautiful young people. And okay. so far they've been keeping their clothes on. So that's one strike against it. But anyway, <laughs> all right, what do you got? Um, so I want to uh, revisit the Batman really quick. Cause I'm not going to talk about too much. Cause I know I talked about a lot before. Just, I, I had mentioned that the first time I watched it, I was pretty much exhausted, uh, barely able to keep my eyes open. So I, you know, I soldiered through and sat there, but, uh, I just rewatched it this weekend now awake <laughs> And, uh, and I really liked them. You know, before I thought, eh, it's okay. Um, but now it's like, oh, this is a really, really good movie. Um, so a lot of what I said before is still holds true. We don't really get a lot of the typical Batman. There is still some, there is a car chase scene. Of course, there's some fight scenes here and there. But most of it, it really is like him just kind of like being a detective, solving the case, working with the cops. So really cool. It's still a departure from... Uh, it's not your average Batman movie, your normal, I guess, quote unquote, Batman movie, but uh, very good movie. So I just wanted to put that in. Now that I've been conscious the whole time, that uh, uh, it's, it's even better when you're awake. All right. Um, nice. And then, uh, so two shows I've been watching had their finales this week. Um, Moon Knight had its finale on Wednesday. And I believe I talked a little bit about Moon Knight. So I won't go and talk about that you know, at length, but just. I know it's been getting mixed reviews, but I really liked it. And Oscar Isaac is just a fantastic actor. Uh, he was absolutely awesome in this series. Uh, it was really good. And it it was a kind of bendy, you know, wondering what's going on. Obviously, lots of supernatural type stuff going on. So, and only six episodes. So, it's uh, easy, easy to swallow, easy pill to swallow. And the last but certainly not least was the finale last night of Winning Time, uh, the story of basically the the 1979-1980 L.A. Lakers team as they pursued their first of, I think, five NBA titles that they won in the 80s. And it was Magic Johnson's first, uh, his rookie year, and, uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was... Still had a couple good years after this, but certainly uh, you know, was kind of towards more towards the end of his career. 
But we see, yeah, like Jerry West is in it. Oh, oh, stop. You said the name. You might find yourself in the lawsuit. Oh, yeah? Oh, he's trying to sue HBO, Max, oh, yeah. or whoever, whatever. Yeah, he doesn't like the way he's portrayed. Well, you know, I I mean, I I get it that they didn't portray him as a 100% amazing person, but he his that character is definitely kind of like the moral center of the show. He's probably, and, and like, you know, Jerry West too. Like, yeah, if, if anyone should be upset, I think Jerry West probably would be because, um, and again, not that they make him out to be a bad guy. They just, they make him out to be kind of like overly paranoid and stuff like that and self-conscious. And I mean, I, I know it's a work of fiction. I don't think I'm seeing history when I'm watching this, but I thought they told a really compelling story. Like if they portrayed it exactly as, as it happened, it probably would be super boring, you know? Uh, like real life doesn't tend to be as exciting as as a story, you know. And you, you know, so the only bad thing about him is like when they first introduced him, he was like, kind of like like he was just riding out his career, and he wasn't like you know trying hard. And you see in practice, he would just sit down on the bench during practice while the younger guys. So I I, I definitely would see how he would take uh, exception to that. But otherwise, his character is like this amazing character, and he's like, um, you know, probably the best, most moral, most you know, centered person in in the show. So, um, you know, I, but I just I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's not the Lakers are not my favorite team. Uh, they're not my least favorite. I I don't really mind the Lakers, and no one can deny that they were the greatest, one of the greatest dynasties ever. The the eighties Showtime Lakers. So it was, uh, I thought it was fascinating to see like kind of Pat Riley rising up through the, the ranks to, you know, become a coach and everything. Yeah. Just, uh, really cool. I'm, I'm sad that it's done. I, I doubt that there's going to be a season two. Um, I know there's a lot more drama that, that goes on with the Lakers. Um, they could probably cover a season each year. But uh, I don't see how they could pay all these actors. Just I can't believe all these guys they got in the first place. Yeah. So um, yeah. But just uh, super enjoyable. I, I really, really, if if you even if you're not into sports, it was a pretty cool just human story and the people involved and everything. So all right, sounds good. Well, let's get to Be Foreigners season two, episode one, titled episode one. They. They really went out on a limb with that. Right. <laughs> uh, written by Eilif Skodvin and Bjornstad and Harold Mail Jr. Now, Skodvin and Bjornstad wrote all the episodes in season one, so they've added a person to their writing team. Directed by Jens Lien, who directed all the episodes in season one. This one aired on HBO Max December 5th, 2021 in Europe but not till December 23rd, 2021 in the U.S. And, you know, we talked a few weeks back about how it caught us off guard. So mm -hmm. fortunately, we uh, discovered it. You know, I, I really like where they jumped off with season two. And, and you know, one of the things that's, uh, it's just really appearing tangentially, but it's a really an integral part of the story. And that is, to me, it's clear that cultural assimilation is not going all that smoothly. And, and Fred addresses that somewhat in his feedback. But I wonder, 
I wonder. I mean, I mean, it it seems to me that the 19th century individuals have the easiest time should they choose to assimilate mm-hmm. into the 21st. Uh, the Vikings less so, and I think it makes sense that it's much more difficult for the Stone Agers uh, to, you know, really assimilate. But but part of the problem is that they're not, right. and how much longer can this chaos go on in the streets? And and we see that it's, you know, really bugging the hell out of uh, a lot of the present day individuals so you know whether this is just going to remain along the edges or whether it'll ever become an integral part of the story we shall see right and you know i'll just address it because you brought it up and fred did too i mean it's it's not unusual for when groups of people emigrate to a country that they then form insular communities like in even in American cities, you know, like like Little Italy down in Baltimore, uh, Greek Town, and um, well, it's like Highland Town, right? It was a big German neighborhood. So, I mean, there's places, even in a city as small as Baltimore, where these communities kind of gathered together because they knew their own, right? And they stuck together, and each succeeding generation kind of became more and more assimilated. Um, so you know, I, I think it's not at all unusual that these groups are not, you know, just a hundred percent jumping in and becoming modern Norwegians, um, when there's so many of them, then they can just, you know, kind of hang out with their, the communities, which with their, that, that, that with which they're familiar. Well, that's true. But if there's ever any hope for them to you know, make a better life for themselves and their their families they're going to have to do you know do a better job of assimilating i mean you know now granted the you know the the communities you're talking about in baltimore and and virtually every city in in the united states has those pockets of ethnic communities but to be fair they all came from 21st century or 20th century germany or 19th century germany right so they didn't have that issue right but i'm I'm saying even coming from the oh, same sure. time they still found their own communities and created their own smaller communities in in america you know so right. we we shouldn't at all be surprised when someone comes from a completely different time period are they going to be more comfortable trying to fit in with modern day people or are they going to be more comfortable with people from their own time period well obviously they're going to be more comfortable with people of their own time period so it's it's going to you know, it took a couple generations for it to happen in America. You know, we can imagine it will the same thing. It's not gonna, anything that's going to happen overnight. That you know, these groups will probably assimilate eventually, but it's going to take a while. Yeah, and we know it's been at least five or six years. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, as teachers and coaches, you know, we're always hyper aware of our class rules or our team rules. It's like. Ah, oh, crap. I didn't think of that possibility. I'll have to put that in for next year. Fortunately, we didn't have to put in there no urinating or no spitting um, in the, you know, MVA or DMV or whatever that right. was where they're, <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, anyway, not to go down that that road 
you know, in too much detail. Fascinating to find out that Alfadar and Wenke are now partners <laughs> because Lars resigned at the end of season one. So that's that's pretty funny to watch them. You know, they're still kind of at each other, but there are some scenes where Wenke basically says, yeah, you need to run it by the two of us first. Not, you know, not just me, but. Right. Uh, well, Alfielder agrees with her, you know, yes. against Lars. So, um, yeah, you definitely, while I don't know, mutual respect is the word, but well, I guess maybe it is, you know, that they respect each other enough to work with one another, even though they clearly don't like one another. Right. Now, we don't really see um, his family. I mean, we see Ingrid, but we don't really see Gregor or his ex-wife Marie in in this episode at all. So whether they'll be in episodes down the road or not remains to be seen. But we, we do see that Ingrid takes a pregnancy test and learns she's pregnant. So we've certainly got that to look forward to, the conversation she's going to have. Assume with Lars first, because I think she can safely say he'll be a little bit more understanding than her mother or Gregor's. Right, because Gregor's is uh, a pretty chill guy, I think, but he still is a product of his era. You know, like in the Victorian age, it was, I mean, not that people didn't get pregnant out of wedlock. Of course they did. But I think it was much more frowned upon, obviously, than it is today. Yeah. Now, we're introduced to uh, Rubenstein and Precious Clark, who are the representatives for uh, Scotland Yard. And, and we're or introduced to. Well, exactly. And in my notes, it's like, are they clearly they're imposters of some sort? Now, we know Rubenstein comes from the 19th century. And, and at first, when we see him, I'm thinking like, oh, whoa, whoa, that dude was, you know, in, in Whitechapel, 1888. But but he even says uh, from my time. So he's not hiding the fact right. that he's originally from the 19th century. How he gets to the 21st century, we don't know. We don't know. And, I mean, he could be Jack. Right? right, right. I mean, we don't know why they've come. We don't know how they knew i mean you know obviously lars boss harold i think his name is uh you know sends an email to scotland yard letting them know what we've found the connection we we've got with one of our cases to one of your cases so somehow they intercepted that email or they're just you know working as imposters at scotland yard again we don't really know that but i the the storyline that were presented in this episode that Jack the Ripper has time-aggrated and is in Oslo committing these murders is just fascinating. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, we, we've got the one historical reveal from last season, right? That uh, St. Olaf didn't die at that battle, that it was, you know, somebody had died in his place or whether it was, you know, an imposter the way, you know, people, uh, I know Adolf Hitler was was famous for having body doubles that, uh, well, if somebody's going to assassinate me, they might as well assassinate not me. <laughs> um, but we learned at the end of last season that St. Olaf is alive and that he had a connection with Maddie when she traveled back, you know, in that incident when they were on the boat. And then, you know, she came back with the yellow teeth. But... 
the big reveal that we you know, learn at the end of last season is that Alfidar is from the 21st century originally, right? And that somehow she traveled back and then back to the 21st as an adult. Yes. So, and, you know, we, we get a little tidbit of that. Clearly she's aware of it. And we, we learn that, you know, she has this connection to uh, Tor Hund, a.k.a. Tommy, and his uh, bicycle. And this time he's pulling a pig around, but you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. So just, you know, really fascinating season premiere and um, got a lot of places they can go for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that when, when Fred brought it up, you know, just – like I was just couldn't help but wondering, like, because I mean, Jack the Ripper is such an iconic thing in the English speaking world, right? And I'm sure it is probably worldwide. I just don't know if it's. Um, did they say it was yes, Boy Chapel? Whitechapel, 1888? Oh, oh, well, that's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah, it helps to be instantly recognizable when they tell you it's Whitechapel, 1888. But so, I mean, that's something like like me. I the minute I saw it, like, oh, Jack the Ripper, you know, like right away. Obviously, the the time factor, because, I mean, what's the, the big thing about Jack the Ripper is that he just disappeared, right? He just stopped murdering, never was caught and everything. So, well, that explains it. He uh, time migrated and he uh, was living in the 21st right. century. And that's why he stopped killing back in the 19th. So, yeah, that was just, I, I thought that was a pretty cool connection, okay. as you said. Now, you know, w- one of the storylines that we see in this first episode is that in the aftermath of everything that happened last season, both Alfidar and Lars are struggling with their new realities. And you know, we see her waking from a dream. She seems disoriented. Lars, we see him initially getting dressed, presumably for work. He, he looks like it's a new shirt. I guess it could be from the cleaners. Right. But yeah. Looks yeah. Like I think the tag shirt, is still yeah. on it, so it's probably a new shirt. She's picking things out of her hair. So you know, visually, they're going back and forth between the two. Uh, she gets a call from the station about a drug overdose, and and one of the first things I notice is that. She's driving an Audi A3. And the irony of the Viking shield maiden driving an Audi is just, yeah, I don't know, it's fascinating. But it's one thing also that I've noticed in all of my international crime dramas is that the detectives in Europe, they drive pretty sweet cars. So I don't know if that's, you know, a thing thing for for real over there or you know because well maybe these you know are less expensive over there i don't know but anyway well two words for you miami vice well right right what was that a ferrari i can't remember now what they were i can't remember it was a sweet ass car but we see lars meeting with the force psychologist and, and he's not been reinstated yet so even though he resigned it does appear as if he wants to get back on the force because why else would he be going through this this therapy and of course we see later in the episode that he goes in to meet with harold and he's a bit disappointed that there's still some red tape that has to be gone through but yeah I, i like the fact that harold says 
you're good. You're one of my best. Uh, I'm going to bring you on as a consultant. We're going to put you on this case and, you know, it shouldn't be too long. So, you know, so, so we assume somewhere down the road he'll be reinstated. But even if he's not, with only six episodes, it seems likely that they'll be working on this same case the entire season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. So whether he's officially been reinstated, doesn't matter, you know. Because they didn't solve the Jack the Ripper case by the end of this right, episode. Right, exactly. But he, he admits to being a bit paranoid, you know, about the government that broke into his flat stealing a hard drive. But we know he really does believe that, as do we. So we know he's not being overly paranoid about that. But he also right. understands that this is the way to get cleared from, you know, my, my psych evaluation and get back on the uh, – on the force, but right. Well, like even, even the psychiatrist says that, Oh, that sounds like he's right out of a psychiatry textbook, you know, and like, because he's clearly saying exactly what he's supposed right. to say, whether he actually believes it or not. He's smart enough to know here's what they want to hear. But unfortunately this particular psychologist is psychiatrist is not right. buying it. And it, it just seems as if it's only a matter of days that transpires during this episode. You know, if that Lars is apparently off the drops, but we see him with a bottle that seems to say that he's on antipsychotics at this point, And it does appear as if he takes his last pill and then, Later, we see him, you know, making a connection with his friend from the Stone Age, who was his drop uh, person in season one. So, you know, is he going to be back on the drops? Is he on the antipsychotics? You know, and we do get an indication later in this episode that all is not well. All is definitely not you know, well. with Lars. But, he, you know, we're never really clear exactly what his deal is. I mean, he's still wearing that brace on his wrist. I guess it's a few months after the end of season one, because you know, when he finally is in the car with Alfieder and she chastises him about where he's been, it's been, I think she says many, you know, several moons since I've talked to you. So we assume she means months at that point. So why they haven't been into in contact at all, you know, I'm not really sure. I doubt he was hospitalized or institutionalized or anything like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's ex- you're right. You're right. Like they've just kind of moved us ahead a couple months chronologically, but we really, it's not like it's picking up from where it left off necessarily. Yeah, you know? right. So, which is fine. You know, it's not like a, a huge leap, but but it's enough to you know l- sure. let things happen. And he learns that. She didn't show up. Alfredo didn't show up at the crime scene to meet Wanky. Uh, so they're, I wouldn't say they're Wanky's worried, but she's kind of like perturbed. And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. And then again, he goes to her trailer. And again, just the, the contrast between the dump that she lives in, not, not only the trailer, but the, the trailer park and then the Audi parked outside. Right. Right, right. And she's like, break the door down. And he gets in there and she's like handcuffed. And, and then you see him look at the camera on the tripod. And he's like, I don't even want to know. While 
There are a number of men who, when they hear a female say, roll my panties down, would be very happy. It's not like that at all. In fact, it's kind of the complete opposite, you know, where it's not any kind of sexual situation at all, right? Um, It's almost clinical in a way. Um, So that's, you know, I mean, obviously it's funny and, and she's really not at, at her best right there. You can just see, you know, I, I'll admit I was kind of maybe low key shipping those two in, you know, season one, but um, seeing this is like, this is, this is not two people who are really into each other romantically at all. This is two good friends uh, because, you know, your good friend can, Hold the bucket while you pee. Right. And I think he would safely say this is one of those TMI situations. And, and yeah, just yeah, it at that. And, and even in last season, when she asks him uh, what the department will think about uh, sex with uh, a colleague, and he thinks at first she's talking about him, and she's like, no, no, no. It was like, you know, one of the yeah. harbor guards who ended up <laughs> uh, being a bad guy. You know, as they're driving, she's explaining why she was handcuffed to her bed as she's struggling with sleepwalking. And I love that line that he says, the the images in my head are getting harder to get rid of. But, <laughs> um, but you know, they, they start talking about the case. And right away, she's so intuitive. She's, you know, got an eye for detail. She knew last season that he was on the drops and she, you know, didn't let him off the hook you see the way she's looking at him now and wonders if he's on the drops again. She doesn't really get a satisfactory answer, but we also know she doesn't really believe him. I I think at at any point, but we're going back and forth between their two stories and, and she calls Tor Hund so that she can be put in touch with, I guess the Viking version of a doctor that you know will help her with her sleep disorder and that of course is the uh the vulva and yeah. sort of like i guess a female shaman i mean well, yeah right i was about to say like a shaman or something like that yeah right because she does um i i i, I love her um clinical style by the way and I, I love how she diagnoses um and uh, does the checkup there yeah but uh but she she like she knows things right she knows things about about Alfielder that she's really only told Tori that's why she goes back to him and is like you told her and he's like I totally didn't yeah, yeah. right I, I mean because right away and it's funny because my uh, my wife and I were noticing this on I forget what other show we were watching but Alfielder expects she's going to need blood uh no no I can use spit and we're ready for Alfredar to spit in her hand, but no, she kisses her, and yeah. that's how she gets. She gets it herself, right? Gets yeah. the uh, My my daughter was uh, in the room, like on her phone, and I was just like, "Hey, uh, Nora, I think it's time for you to go upstairs to bed." Like, I I wasn't sure where that one was going to go, so I was just like, right, "Yeah, but get a move on." Fairly fairly innocent, but uh, sure. apparently it, it's common for be foreigners to suffer from sleep disorders, but she diagnosis right away just looking in her eyes nope that's not you there must be other powers loose in you and and you know then she says i see a girl from the sea 
And of course, we see those images of her being rescued by Tor Hun's father's boat. And of course, we know the girls from the 21st century because she's in modern clothing with the orange life vest. And, you know, just to remind us, I suppose, of, of what we saw at the end of the season. And then, like you said, well, there's no way she could know that. But then you're thinking like, OK, if you don't think she can know these things, then why'd you go to her in the first place? R- exactly right. But, yeah. you know where does this strange girl come from? And of course we're thinking like, cause we watched dark. No, no, no. When does this strange girl come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd like to think that the, the Volvo knows that as well, that, that she's thinking when, as opposed to where. And so, you know, whether she misspoke deliberately or, or not, I, you know? Yeah. Um, so what's the deal with Alfidar? training with that group of men in the in the gym i mean is that just to cope with the sleep disorder you tire herself out so she'll fall i mean we see her later drinking you know one mead shot after another yeah i i well it doesn't seem like this is her first time going to there so it's probably just something she does because she's hardcore right yeah so of course her training is going to be involving um you know because she was a warrior yeah sure so she's not just going to hit a bag. She's going to go and th- get thrown around and throw around a bunch of big, tough guys. Um, but then clearly, yeah, she's like trying to exhaust herself and then going hard on the mead um, in order to, you know, we assume to sleep through the night and not sleepwalk. Right. And, you know, they're both struggling with addictions of, of different sorts. You know, and for Alfadar, we don't want to overlook how difficult it must be to have Lars suddenly taken away from her because he was her link. And, and again, not that she has to have somebody to hold her hand, which of course she does not, but she knows right away that she's the outsider. She is the other within this police organization. And while she's certainly uh beginning to impress her, her superiors you know there are a lot of people there that would love to see her fail we we know that and you know obviously the fact that wanky is one of them and is now her partner you know again opens up some more possibilities right the uh the lights go out in lars flat and then suddenly we see this small long hair figure on the couch smoking cigarettes yeah, and it turns out to be Odin, actually. Yeah, right. Um, uh, why not? And, and the bearded guy <laughs> from season one actually works right? for him. And, and Yes. And so, yeah, so now we know, because, you know, we learned the truth about the guy from season one is that, that he died, you know, and, and that these are all hallucinations that Lars is experiencing. So we assume the hallucinations are continuing, and this is how Lars is coping with you know, whatever it is he's coping with. I mean, you know. Right. Well, you know, and it's either like a hallucination or a legit supernatural occurrence. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that Lars is going crazy. Just, I mean, in this crazy world of foreigners, I'm not shutting off the possibility that Odin is actually visiting him. Well, yeah, okay. But I guess for me, given that, we saw the resolution of season one because I was willing to, and I think we talked about at the time that, okay, is this a supernatural occurrence? 
um, you know, even though we find out that the guy died uh, two years before. So I don't know. I mean, I would like to think it's supernatural, but I'm guessing this is just Lars' overactive imagination. But, you know, we, we shall see. Um, yeah, well, he did get tripped. Well, he did. That's true. Good point. Yeah. Good point. We see that scene where Tommy's riding the bike and I guess he's not working for foodie anymore, even though it looks like he's got one of those big things on the back of his bicycle and he's pulling around a pig in, you know, a a cart intended for a child. And of course, Alfred takes the opportunity to make fun of him and tease him. But of course we learn later that, you know, he's just minding this pig so that it can eventually be slaughtered as part of the Volva's ceremony, what, whatever that ceremony is. I'm not sure exactly what that is. I mean, I, yeah. I, I guess for me, what it reinforces is the fact that, you know, these Vikings are unwilling at this point to let go of their belief in the gods and and their religious system that they left behind. So... You know, and, and paired with uh, the appearance of Saint Olaf, you know, it's it's certainly again opening up more story possibilities. But I mean, that's how I saw it. I mean, it was kind of a gross scene where spraying blood on everybody. But yeah, you know. well, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I know there's part of the Catholic ceremony every once in a while, on special occasions. You know, they get the holy water and they go around and. The, the kind of broom-like thing and kind of flick it onto everyone. So it's that's totally what it reminded me of, except, of course, with blood rather than uh, with water. Um, but it's still kind of like the same idea. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Now, one of my favorite aspects of this episode is Olaf's attempt to claim his name. And it makes sense that, that you get these uh, timegrants that, now appear in 21st century and it probably right. doesn't take them too long to realize that I need to register if I want to get you like know, I'm Alexander Hamilton. Or, well, right. you know, it's one of those things that, that with reincarnation, everybody was a king or queen in a past life, uh-huh. right? Nobody was just a common laborer. Right. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. uh I, I love that little pyramid. The, um, government worker shows him and, uh, and you get it. I mean, uh, you're claiming to be King Olaf, who historically died in 1030, but whatever, dude, um, (laughs) (laughs) denied. And you see him try to intimidate that little guy. And the little guy's like, you're not going to intimidate me. I I hold all the cards, dude. So... Right. It, it was just, yeah, it was hilarious because, you know, like he is going to his traditional, like, I am the sword of God or something like that, you know? And, and the dude's like, yeah, I guess we could agree we're both real badasses. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and then while he's there, you know, the opening scene where he's he's got to go and he's got to take a number. And he's, of course, number 99. And we've all been there at the yeah. uh, Motor Vehicles Administration at some point or the other. And you know he and just to watch him with the little you know touch screen at the beginning trying to figure out what to do once you know he he gets through and his application is rejected you know later on when they're at that museum and his 
yeah, I forget the guy's name, one of his henchmen. That's how I have yeah. it in my notes. Uh, oh, yeah, they can determine, you know, male or female from this thing, this stuff called DNA. And he's like, oh, can it, you know, can it identify familial connections? Which, as Fred points out, w- was fairly astute observation sure. for this Viking to make, which then goes back to, you know, the beginning of the discussion when I was saying for people from the Stone Age, we get why it's so difficult for them to assimilate. Maybe a little bit less so for Vikings. And, and, and clearly, if you're able to make this connection that quickly, now I guess you could argue, nah, that's just done for narrative purposes. I don't know. I don't yeah. know about that. Well, there's one thing about now that since we're talking about Olaf and his crew, right? I mean, this is definitely. I mean, he is a, a gangster, right? I mean, he's supposed to be the patron saint of Norway, but I mean, he looks a lot like just a normal—well, not normal, but like a TV bad guy gangster with his crew, his henchmen, his, his muscle. Right, and even when the guys who want to come up and just say, "Oh, dude, we saw your YouTube, or whatever," you know, like his boys kind of like get in front of him. Yeah, and and then so, he gives them the fist bump to their yeah. Well, well yeah. So and- he's he's there's not a lot of saintly stuff about this Olaf, right? And you know, you and I have talked just briefly before in Vikings Valhalla, you know, the spinoff of Vikings. This character is, is addressed. And, you know, as you said, the patron saint of Norway, he is, you know, the Viking that that really made that great leap from belief in the gods to belief in Christianity. And, and, and of course, it's, you know, no uh, mistake that we see, you know, crosses prominent when, when it's, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, his visual appearance. So, yeah, so that's kind of cool, but clearly he didn't die. But then, like you said, he's got that gangster appearance about him with the, with the two guys that are following him, you know, the, the car, him being driven around. and, and right. uh, Well, and then, they, you know, he shows up at Madeline's place and he meets Lars and doesn't shake his hand and just, right. you know, so. Yeah, he goes in <laughs> and drinks milk. You got to love that. I guess they didn't have any meat in the fridge. Right interesting scene when he goes into maddie's bedroom and he sits down on his bed and and this this great powerful man has just been you know emasculated to a certain extent because as he says to her without my name i'm nothing and and she and, and we understand where she's coming from about you know people in power and he's like people in power are the same in all times yeah. And, you know, now, granted, we know he was a person in power. So, you know, whether he's going to regain his power or not, I mean, we we know what he wants to do is uh, unearth the bones of his son, King Magnus, and, and then we presume submit them for DNA test, testing, which would then, I guess, give him the right to, you know, take a name that's in that top level of the pyramid. Right. And, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. We we shall see. But the big story, as we said, whether or not Jack the Ripper, uh, Jack the Ripper, has actually time aggraded to Oslo, and and you know we, we've mentioned briefly that opening scene of the episode where they're in 19th century London. That, 
you know, once they put up Whitechapel, London, 1888, as you said, ah, Jack the Ripper, which, uh, you know, of course, it is actually there's a uh, British crime drama called Whitechapel, which is in the present day, but, you know, a lot of overtones of Jack uh-huh. the Ripper uh, type crime. But at this point, when we, we see Rubenstein in the 19th century, you know, he's trying to track down Jack the Ripper or I mean, that's what it seems. So we don't know what his motivation is at this point. We know he travels forward in time to the 21st century. But having then seen him in the 21st, you get kind of the sense that he's been going back and forth or Am I maybe just reading too much into that? Uh, I think you might be reading too much. I mean, I don't know. I didn't get that. I just assumed this guy time migrated and some maybe even purposefully. Or he is, right? Because I mean, you know, in the in the beginning, he goes into the bar and we we see the the pretty intense anti-Semitism right, of, sure. of London at the time, and you know, they they won't even let him in, but the police officer tells him to let him in. And he goes in and like the girls see him and they think, oh, you know, they think he's Jack, you know, now, is that because he is suspicious because he potentially is Jack the Ripper or is he a suspect because he's Jewish? Yes. And it's just anti-Semitism, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what he's doing in the future now, obviously it seems like they're either, either he is jack or he's tracking down jack as he says but yeah either way there's definitely but see, some guess, keep her eye on yeah and i guess that's what really you know fascinates me is that his you know preoccupation in the 19th century of tracking down jack the ripper did he just and again we don't know why certain people time migrate to the 21st century so whether it's random chance or whether you know th- there is a uh, method behind this, we don't know yet. Still, so it it just seems to me too coincidental that he just happens to go to the twenty first century. He just happens to get that email at Scotland Yard, and he's once again on the trail of Jack the Ripper. So. Um, yeah, I'm still a little suspicious of, of Rubenstein and uh, Rubenstein and Precious Clark. You know, as you said earlier, uh, clearly they're imposters of some sort because they throw their ID badges in the fire. Which is why are you doing that? Like, well, do you not know? Do you no longer need to keep up the appearance that you're from Scotland Yard? Like, why are you burning your ID? That's crazy. Lars asks him whether or not there's any material that he can recommend to bring him up to speed on Jack the Ripper. And he goes into his briefcase and, and hands him a book titled the origins of time aggression, which would certainly imply it's a contemporary book. Sure. Um, relevance comes in many disguises. So I'm not sure how that's going to tie in. And, and of course, Lars seems to think the same thing although we see him you know later on reading that book when uh odin shows up we don't really know anything about the contents of of the book at this point but you know when we see the two of them 
you know, later on and, and they're outside around that file, uh, that fire and you found her file, she asks him. And I don't think he says yes or no, but it appears as if he throws the file into the fire. Although it's not really clear. I went back and watched that a couple of times. I mean, it's like you see him throw something, but then you look at the fire and there's no file in the fire. Right. It's just 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 the badges. So, but I I think more to the point, who is the her? Is it Maddie? Is it Alphidor? Right. Well, they showed he was, you know, on the computer, he was going through and we see the pictures of a bunch of people who looked like he was maybe files he was accessing, but uh, I was too lazy to go back and actually. Well, I don't think there's anybody we recognized. So, you know, the, the, the fact that we saw maybe two or three pictures, yeah, you know, which would lead us to believe one of those is her. I, I, got, I, I get the feeling it's got to be somebody we already know. And yeah, at, I, well, at this yeah point, absolutely. Right. At, at this point, Alphidar and Maddie are the only two we know for sure have traveled back and forth in time, right? Because everybody else is under the uh, assumption that you can only travel forward, not back. So, you know, are they investigating something along those lines? And Jack the Ripper was just a convenient way to, you know, find out about these people in, in Oslo, uh, you know, I don't know. It would seem to be if they really want to know about the people in Oslo, they would have come up with another excuse rather than waiting for Harold's email about, uh, you know, the yeah. connections of this Well, yeah, case. it's just weird. The, the whole thing is to like, like, why are they there? What are they doing? It's just. Now, a couple of things that are, are really funny, and we've, I think, saw this in season one. No matter where she is, Alphidor seems to always be eating. And, yeah. uh, and, and Harold, anytime they have any kind of meeting, you, can you run down to the bakery? Um, can you get, you know, there seems to always be food on the table, and Alphidor's the only one that's ever eating. <laughs> but um, interestingly, she points out to Lars later on that her English is weak and she really didn't understand much of what was going on. And I forget how she, how she interpreted Jack the Ripper, but it was something, you know, funny, but then he says, I'll explain it to you in the car. And I guess what I really liked about what that was her willingness to admit what she doesn't know. Right. And we've never really seen her being one of these people that has to always be right or, you know, can't, exhibit any flaws because that's not true but yeah I, I just found that you know pretty telling about her character so anyway so has jack the ripper time aggraded to present day oslo is he responsible for you know the the body they find in the tunnel is lars on the drops we shall see these are it, all things that we do not know yeah so a- anything else you want to bring up yeah, I just like yeah, just like loads of questions, right? Um, you know, really not even any kind of answers at all, but tons of questions. And as you said, we can see that they've got a lot of stuff that they can to work with this season. So I like how it started out. Yeah, and the fact that they've chosen Jack the Ripper, who was a serial killer who was never caught, as you pointed out earlier, I think makes that storyline even stronger. That he 
may be in present day right also now of course it could be a copycat we've certainly seen our share of copycat killers and copycat serial killers over the years so um you know it may not be but um you know at, at this point seems to be pointing in that direction yeah. so. and there, well there, there was also a funny moment because there was a couple actually like legit funny moments here um obviously having to pee was a big one but also outfielder not knowing what a clitoris was uh yeah. you know which i mean she obviously knows what it is she just didn't know the word for it you know so right but right, that was right. really funny and venki just had a field day with that one yes um and yeah, we'll see if it comes back to haunt her or not yeah. but uh all right well let's hear what fred's got for us this week and we'll be right back Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foreigners Season 2, Episode 1. After 20 episodes of Fringe Season 1, it's a pity that we didn't go on. In the meanwhile, I watched the first three episodes of Season 2 and I think there is much to discuss. But okay, Before This is only six episodes and before all the other series start, Nevers, Ragnarok, Foundation, etc. There will be time perhaps. The first episode of season two of Beforeners brought us, I think, back into the atmosphere of Beforeners. I think the episode did that very well. Examples of that are, of course, the people from all kinds of eras still having some old habits, walking with goats through town, having a pig, building a wooden Viking ship in the middle of town, all kinds of rules and regulations specially made for be foreigners, like you don't pee in a waiting room or spit or etc., it also shows us again how Beforeners is filmed, like for instance <laughs> the problem Alf Hilder has when she has to pee although she's cuffed to her camper. A bit confusing in the beginning was of course the Jack the Ripper history part, so that was actually a flashback. I don't know if you have seen these kinds of flashbacks, I think so, especially to the Viking time. Also, such a flashback comes back in this episode when she is with this, uh, no, yeah, sorcerer, this Volva. We see the image of Alf Hilder there in her life jacket. So, going back to season one, the idea is that Alf Hilder is actually a child from the present time who went back to the Viking time and then again to the present time, which is still a mystery that is not solved. And it's not the only example of somebody going from the present time to the past because one of the girlfriends of Ingrid, so Lars's daughter, also went back. I think she is that girlfriend of Olaf Haraldsson, so the Norwegian king. <laughs> the nicest thing I think in this episode, you can imagine what that is. Of course, the DNA story. So he didn't know anything about DNA, but one of his soldiers obviously did, and he got a bright idea. So let's excavate my son, and then they can determine that I'm the father. So that's a nice way. So he's not that dumb. Perhaps you can hear the church bells chime in the background. Actually, you made a remark about that in my last feedback for Fringe 
Wayne. Uh, I didn't notice it actually in my own recording. It was probably too soft to hear it, but obviously you heard it. Uh, it's stopping now. The point is that I'm living just across the street of a church and uh, mostly I'm recording on Sunday morning. The problem I have a little bit with Be Foreigners is this combination of old and new culture. So some things are very funny. So for instance, if the, when this Olaf is sitting uh, at uh, the town hall to get his name registered, and then this clerk says, oh, I know you from your YouTube channel. So then having this Norse king from the Viking time who has a YouTube channel. So that's that are the things I like and find funny. On the other hand, they keep a kind of old habits which I find less realistic. I know, I know, of course the whole story of time travel is not realistic, but if you then put somebody from another time in this time, I think they will adapt more instead of living with your goats and pigs on the street, etc. On the other hand, some other things are more believable. So, for instance, Alf Hilder that goes to a kind of pub which has a lot of fighting, fighting and drinking. Well, I can imagine that they kept that way of life uh, alive. What I first didn't get is the antipsychotic drugs Lars takes. Because he has to be checked all the time for drugs, etc. Has a nice tool, a nice mobile phone to, to check for Temproxat, that's the drug he took in his eyes, these drops. But his antipsychotics he obviously also gets from the street and not from a doctor. I just wonder why that is. So overall a nice episode to get in the atmosphere before us again. But it didn't bring us much further, I think. And we get a new story, the Jack the Ripper story. But that feels more like a case of the week thing. Okay, that will be more or less all for this time. I would give the episode a C plus, B minus, something like that. But that just has more to do with my general feeling about foreigners. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, you know, you, you mentioned to Fred a few weeks back. Uh, come on, we've got a geneticist on staff here, and you know understanding dna as fred points out does show that the vikings may be sharper than we're giving them credit for so you know we're talking about roughly 1000 ad which is when these people are from you know i mean i mean certainly the intellect has developed you know to a fairly advanced stage at this point but the experience that these people have in the year 1000 right. it would preclude them i think from understanding a lot of things so we don't know how long uh, olaf has been here i guess it's two months right because he seemed to appear at the end of season one when he rides up on the horse yes and meets maddie at the church right so, well yeah oh he did because he was also taking the the newcomer class right oh right 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 so so he's you know, again, I guess you could argue, well, look, you don't get to be king by being um, thick. So, right. True. Um, you know, so. Uh, and, but sometimes then, you can become president. Uh, yes, you can. <laughs> and hopefully only once. And, and then he points out about, you know, the lack or refusal to adapt to the present. I mean, 
you know, you know I, I do stand by what I said is that I think in general, it's more difficult for the Stone Agers to assimilate and adapt than it is for the 19th century individuals or uh, the Viking era individuals. But, uh, you know, look at the guy from season one who, you know, was, uh, you know, in, in charge of. Right. Like know, the crime boss, right? The right. The crime the boss. So, yeah. Right. So while his um, speech and, and syntax may have been uh, a bit shaky, there didn't seem to be anything wrong with his ability to put together a crime empire right? and keep a woman from the 21st century happy uh, as, uh, you know, a blogger and however else he managed to keep her happy. Yeah. So, uh, um, but other than that, um, that's all I've got for Fred's feedback. Anything you want to? Oh, it was just lovely to hear the bells again and. I was thinking that uh, probably makes it difficult for Fred to sleep in on Sunday, but then I realized, well, geez, that's probably the point of the bells in the first place, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to get up and go to church, not uh, not lie around. Not that, you know, like, uh, it's just a throwback from its original purpose, right? But uh, yeah. yeah, they sound really nice. Yep. Um, so what are we going for a grade? I, I'm going to go A- minus on this one. Yeah, I think A-. minus. Solid A minus, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a strong season premiere. Yeah. You know, a new storyline. Right. Uh, leave the old behind. Sorry to see Erd, uh, you know, take a bullet for uh, Tor Hund, you know, especially when we learned that he actually didn't kill St. Olaf. But, uh, you know, yeah. she, you know, for her, you know, it was certainly a, a ticket to Valhalla. And, you know, she was a great character, but. Yeah, hopefully we'll see some new great characters. But yeah, good. A minus and yeah, I'm psyched. I, I really enjoy this show a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good show. I like it a lot. And, you know, not a lot of fancy supernatural stuff, just kind of like well, I guess, you know, Odin did show up, but otherwise mm-hmm. strong writing, good characters, good acting. Well, and, and the fact that we know and Alphadar knows that she's originally from the 21st century traveled back in time was raised as a viking and then time aggraded with everybody else so you know she's still coping with you know that information and you know the the whole time travel aspect with jack the ripper so yeah good stuff let's go ahead and leave it there that will do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch thank you for joining us Love to hear what you think about Be Foreigners, anything else going on in your genre TV world. Check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at Gmail is the way you can reach us. And we'll be back next week to talk about Season 2, Episode 2 of the HBO Max series Be Foreigners. But until then... So, Dave, I know you, you really wanted to talk about it tonight, but I just wanted to ask you, can, can we have the discussion about who's had the most orgasms later? <laughs> <laughs>